This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hi, Max. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, today we have uh, Nicolene van Enter, and uh, Nicolene is well. Actually, she's a uh, she's into footwear, so into footwear in a big way. Uh, so she started out uh, as a trends forecaster. She started work, uh, working uh, for certain as a consultant to certain shoe and footwear manufacturers and in, in trends and teaching people more about footwear and stuff. Uh, and then she started uh, something called the Footwearist and Footwearology. Uh, where she's a CEO and a co-founder. And they are basically trying to, uh, she together with Jordi Montaner, are trying to, you know, trying to make new footwear manufacturing a reality. So they give courses, they do consultancy about like a kind of completely new, much more kind of uh, a new way of manufacturing shoes. And yeah, the reason why I invite her on, she does a bunch of stuff with 3D printing. And I'm really curious about this 3D printing footwear thing from someone who's in the industry and teaching in the industry. Is this 3D printing footwear for real? Is it the, the, the future of all the footwear industry or is it just a passing trend for them? So that's kind of what we're, we're interested in today. So uh, welcome to the show, Nicolene. Thank you. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you uh, all. Um, so, so Nicolene, first off, so you, you come to us from the shoe industry. So is our shoes, uh, is shoes something that always fascinated you? Is that always something that, that, that you wanted to get involved in or you just kind of like, uh, kind of by accident roll into that? It was uh, that really industry? by accident. It was totally by accident, but luckily early on in my career, when I, <laughs> when I was 18 and didn't know what to study, I went, I'm Dutch myself. I went to Amsterdam. I, I just decided that. I started to work first before I would go to university because I had no clue what I wanted to do. Landed in a store that sold clothing, records, and footwear. And the first day I was put on the footwear department because the girl that was managing that department before had just left. And they said, well, as of today, you manage the shoes. And I never thought of shoes as a separate career at all, but I liked it so very much that, uh, yeah, that turned out to... to then become my career goal for the rest of my career, pretty much. So, uh, so that's how that happened. And then I did a, a bunch of different things. I still took an education in, in engineering and apparel, apparel technology engineering, but I never worked in apparel, always worked in footwear. I've been a journalist. Indeed, like you said, I've been a trend forecaster. And now for, say, the past 15 years, I've been actively involved in doing innovation and R&D and consulting and training myself specifically in the field of footwear innovation and within that footwear 3d printing is a is a big field that i'm involved the interesting thing with footwear is that it's kind of a weird industry because everybody orders the things like i don't know 12 months in advance or something they're made out of like 120 different parts (laughs) with maybe 30 different production processes uh, made in under probably sometimes horrible conditions, sometimes maybe okay conditions by companies that are very far away from the companies that we buy these things from. So it seems to be really inefficient. Uh, and like four seasons sounds. and the whole thing, you know, the, 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 the supply chain <laughs> by itself seems <laughs> like a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. So indeed, the, 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 the goal of my existence is to change the supply chain in footwear because as you say, all these things are completely true, highly inefficient, wasteful, slow, 
Uh, everything that could be wrong with it is wrong with it. More than 80%, if not more than 85% of footwear is made in Asia, very far from the regions where it's sold. Not saying that we're not selling any shoes in Asia, of course we do, but still it's the case for all of the Western brands that most of them produce very far away from where the shoes are being sold. So you have to order everything in huge quantities in advance. And like you say, the, the manufacturing process also is very old fashioned. I mean, we have gone over time and from century to century from handcrafted footwear to machine made footwear. But during that transition, we have actually still stuck most of the time to how we made shoes by hand, simply taking that same process, but then doing it with machines. And now, say for the past decade or two ish, you really see a transition to drastically reinvent how shoes are made and no longer thinking that it's similar to making it by hand, but with a machine. And that's also why we now see 3D printed footwear. So um, among other technologies. So in general, we see a push towards things that are more automated, that take less human labor, that can be done on demand, that could be customized. And of course, at that point, you end up quite quickly with 3D printing. So that's one of the reasons why we see this more now. I'm, I am what curious, the, I mean, yeah. given how bold, as you rightfully point out, the shoe industry kind of <laughs> is in this handmade way, I'm surprised that we didn't reach an automation phase much sooner. Um, and, <laughs> and I know there are industries out there that are like this as well, like the confectionery industry also uses some very old technology, yeah. but at least that's mostly automated on some <laughs> level. Um, what is it just that there's too many steps in operations and it just hasn't really, made it's, sense? I think it's really innate to the history of the industry itself. So, I mean, very early on in the very, very early stages of footwear industry, uh, centuries ago, it started from farmers wanting to do something during the winter to make money. And they started making leather footwear and they had, of course, the cattle and the leather to do that from. You also see that in every country, for instance, in Europe, where you have an original footwear region, this is usually very rural areas. So where they did cattle farming, because that's where they had the resources. And then from there, when the economy was booming and we got, you know, the, the first industrial revolution, then those farming families started to set up factories and brands. And, but those were family companies. And what you usually see in a family business is that innovation is much slower because like father, like son, my dad did it this way. That's why I do it this way. My son will do it this way. Uh, as you know, you always done it this way. son and not daughter. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. Still to this day, unfortunately, mostly men, uh, especially in the technical area of footwear. So that is a process. And then at the same time, combine that with the fact that it's very labor intensive, uh, simply because if, if you are indeed still making shoes like we used to do in many parts uh, with many different materials, then it's so labor intensive that you have to go to cheap labor countries, because there's no way that we can afford any of that labor anymore in the Western world. Then you do your investment in machinery uh, that's still quite mechanical and not so much digital. So, and that is a really slow process to replace. Everybody has have invested heavily in certain types of machines, sewing machines, molding machines, all of that. And to then change that over is a very slow process. And that's also why I think that if we see major changes, uh, and some of them we see now, they are usually coming from companies outside of the industry that can start fresh. 
rather than companies that have a vested interest and that already have, you know, a, a bunch of factories that they work with or own uh, in, you know, cheap labor countries. If those companies need to change their whole thing around, it's going to take a very long time. So that's one of the biggest hurdles also in the market. Usually when people approach me about 3D printing, is it really happening? They think that it's not happening because the technology is not there or the material is not there or it's just not mature enough. And that's absolute nonsense. The technology is mature enough. The biggest issue that we have is the supply chain and industry that works for in a very old-fashioned way in an old-fashioned model that is hard to turn around. So I can tell a company, a big sports brand, hey, you know, it's great. There's 3D printing. You can do things custom now. You can do things on demand and you don't have to have any excess stock. Then they're like, Nico, that's wonderful. But our whole company is based upon mass manufacturing far away. We cannot do that. We logistically have no option to follow these individual orders through our company. We have never had an on-demand system. Our entire infrastructure and logistics are based upon selling from stock, not selling on demand. So we're not going to do that. And that's also why you see that the, the few mass market examples of 3D printed parts in footwear, like for instance with Adidas, they have of course the carbon 3D printed midsoles, that those were not custom at all. And there's no reason technically, of course, why that could not be custom. I think it's an absolute weird decision to this day that they never made it custom, that it was basically one lattice midsole, the same for everybody. But it has to do with their business model. They cannot facilitate customization and they cannot facilitate on demand. And that is the bigger hurdle for printing and not the technology. Well, the weird, the weird thing is, you would think they would be much more eager to get rid of all the stock and take all this risk because they tie oh, up a bunch yes. of their money. Oh yeah, like twelve months in advance, and they yeah. have to guess. The, the difficulty is this fashion risk, right? This idea that I have to guess how many people in Denmark want green sambas, you know, and yeah. and and then uh, and in green and in the sizes they want them, and I have fifty thousand of them or something, yeah. and then I need another ten thousand for Sweden or whatever, and then I if I get it wrong, I have to dump them in TK Maxx or whatever. It, it just yeah. it just seems so risky as well for them 100 percent, and that's always what completely surprises me to this day <laughs> where i'm like come on now i think it's worth the investment at least to try and change that system but yeah it's a big boat it's like an old tanker so yeah it's difficult to steer it in another direction it's difficult to split it up in smaller boats um and that's why that is not happening but there's technically no reason why you could not do that but of course there's a financially vested interest in an existing infrastructure. So that's where the bigger hurdle is. So now you see companies like uh, Atzellerfeld from Germany that have launched a platform for 3D printed footwear. And these are complete newcomers to the industry. They know it's a young guy that just started building printers and then expanded the company, and, you know, has a good sense for, for investment. So he attracted investment, started his company in America right after he finished school. So it's these types of outsiders to the industry that will start doing that. And further down the line, I expect, I'm actually quite surprised that they don't do it yet, that we'll see companies like either the, you know, Alphabets and Apples of this world or Amazons, why, that they will also start getting into that market. So companies that have a little bit more financial stamina already, that have the data of the consumer to be able to base, you know, their planning on, uh, and to then facilitate on-demand infrastructure. So, 
but yeah, that that is what we first need to to have before we can actually really see 3D printing take off in the way that it's supposed to do. Of course, technically, you can 3D print shoes already. I mean, there's no problem around that. Um, but for that to become a big success with the average consumer, the business model also should be there. Yeah, is, is, and is it really that inertia what you were talking about? Because you know, I, I keep thinking about the Sears catalog, right? Sears catalog. They had photos. They sold things online for essentially, like they sold things via the catalog for hundred years on a piece right, of paper yeah, via the catalog, via the via the book. Uh, you know, yes, uh, hundred years. They even sold houses and tools and everything. And they didn't adapt to the internet because, well, because of the inertia, because they'd have to fire Bob, because they'd have yeah. to change things. Is yeah. it really yeah. only that? Largely, yes. I do. I do think so. It, it well. It's a combination. So we, for instance, now have an event coming up. It's called Footprint 3D, where we're finally bringing the, the 3D printing industry together with the shoe industry to bridge that gap between the two. Because on the one hand, it's it's the inertia. On the other hand, it's a lack of knowledge also of how printing works, uh, that it's not one technology, that it's not a, a one-size-fits-all, um, all of it. There's a big lack of knowledge. And... And it's also true that, you know, implementing 3D printing seriously inside your company takes a lot of different changes to make that you might not be prepared for or that people don't know how to make. Just a simple thing. If you if you want to 3D print a shoe, the first thing you will need is a 3D file. Now, understanding that most of these companies don't even design in 3D at all, but still do things like, you know, 2D, and then it's already really fancy if they use Illustrator or Photoshop. So let alone then making that transition to 3D. So right now, suddenly you see people in a panic because I've been teaching for the past years, you know, Rhino, Grasshopper, Blender, all these 3D softwares, and now we're shifting into AI, and some of that might no longer be necessary, and AI does it for you. While most of these companies are still just considering, ah, oh, maybe we should go into 3D printing or into 3D design. Maybe we should teach our designers how to do 3D. Uh, that is already in a very early stage. That should have already been much more common uh, to do. Then if on top of that, you would say, okay, great. Now we are going to include systems for customization and we're going to you know, do generative design that involves data. So for instance, I would have data from my customer's foot scan data, and then I can start adjusting, you know, my my whole production method based upon better data. I could do way more sizes. I could be much more in tune with what the market actually looks like. All of these are huge, long processes where that take huge changes because, okay, we don't have designers to do 3D. The way we make our lasts now that are that basically determine the shoe sizes, so these molds that you make that the top of a shoe on, these are really old. We've had them for decades. So this whole system then, the factory needs to change it, um, design needs to be different, you're looking at completely different materials. Of course, in footwear, everything, for instance, for soles is foam. So it's a lot of like EVA, PU, it's molding. So that works in a particular way and 3D printing works in an entirely different way. So people will always say, uh, oh, printing is so slow because whatever, whatever it is, whether you do SLA, DLP, uh, SLS, FDM, whatever it is, it will still take you a couple of hours uh, at minimum to print a part or shoe because 
If the printing goes fast, the curing might take time. And in other cases, you don't need curing, but the printing is slower. And then people say, oh, but if I do this on my molding machine, I have something uh, under the minute. Okay, yes, but then you first need to make a mold and that could take you weeks. So yeah, yeah, okay, but this is what we're used to. So the whole factory setup is set up to having your molded piece done in under a minute and then you have the other part of the shoe stitched in under a minute and then you glue the two parts together. If you then suddenly put a printer in there and you say, okay, the printer makes the sole, but sorry, that takes five, six hours. Uh, but we don't need a mold, no worries. They're like, yeah, okay, but in my sequence, it till, still takes me five, six hours as opposed to less than a minute before. I'd rather have the mold. So it, it takes a completely different way of really changing your entire setup from design to material to how you create the workflow for creating your shoe. And that's where the big bottlenecks are. So that's also why we see indeed quite simple applications of printing indeed like there's there's a midsole that is the same for everybody okay it has a lattice woohoo and then you then print a gazillion of those a hundred thousand of those those are then shipped to your footwear factory and there they're simply cemented you know glued under the rest of the shoe so that is fitting for the supply chain that we have now but of course it doesn't utilize any <laughs> of the advantages that 3d printing could have so, and then it's just a fancy look that's more expensive. So that's yeah. why I think a lot of people don't understand consumers, you know, they see those lattice soles and they're like, ah, oh, it's just cool. a poop collector. Yeah. They say, oh, there's just <laughs> dirt, there's just shit going in there. And, and, they're, and they're not wrong either. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Does that mean that from your perspective, does it only fundamentally make sense to shift the whole shoe industry to an additive manufacturing solution or a combination of things of the additive manufacturing if you're doing customized or do you think that there's still a way an in-between stage where mass producing daily you know like a size 11 shoes for lack of a better term oh yeah Um, well i think the main advantage definitely would be in the on-demand part i would not necessarily say the custom part because custom is not always necessary it would already be better if we could utilize data that we have so that we understand what what are the main shoe sizes that people would need and proportions that people would need. And then to be able to produce those on demand. And it doesn't always have to be custom. When I speak to people about custom, it doesn't have to mean it's one-on-one custom. It doesn't have to mean that you have an interaction with your consumer for everything individually, because that, of course, takes time and complicates things a lot. But I definitely see it as an advantage for on-demand so that you don't have all the excess stock. So for me, it doesn't make sense to say, oh, well, I'm going to now keep the whole supply chain the same, keep it mass production in advance, and we're just going to replace that midsole with a lattice. So this is where we see a lot of directions in the industry, like lattice foams and blah, blah, blah. We have seen for the past, say, five, six years that we've seen this on the market, that this is not successful. It's too expensive. It doesn't give any added value to to the consumer. Actually, right the opposite, because the consumer looks at that thing and goes like, that gets poo in my shoe. So, or dirt or whatever. If I go trail running, it makes no sense for me at all to have a lattice midsole. What would I need with that? So, you know, I, I find that very limiting. And I wouldn't say that you need to do everything custom, 
but there's definitely the advantage of on-demand that you would like to use. And if you're also not using that, then I do have my doubts what you want to do with printing. So, but right. that's my personal opinion. I know that there's there will be definitely discussion in the industry that sure. will probably be discussion <laughs> that we have at, at our event. But that's my personal opinion. If it's not on demand at all, yeah, then I don't see the advantage of printing. Um, so, okay. So imagine you're talking directly to Nike or something like that. How would you, or something, a company that size, not to call them out or anything, how would you advise them to tackle this? How would you say, hey, how, here's how you guys can successfully engage with 3D printing? I think for the larger companies, what they would have to do, since it's so much about the business model, that they would have to team up with a smaller startup that could start with a new business model from scratch and they need to finance it. Because what you see now is that on the one hand within printing, you see startups that are struggling to get things off the ground simply because they don't have the cash, you know, the funding to, to get this off the floor. And then on the other hand, you see the bigger companies that do have the money and, and also have the interest, but they don't have the business model for it. So that's also what I see happening. For instance, companies like Adidas, they have incubators for smaller startups that they foster. So that's how I would see that happening, especially because it's so much about the business model. In the industry, a lot of times they see these bigger footwear companies as the protagonists of innovation. But actually, in this case, they are not because they are still seeing footwear production in a relatively traditional way. There have been some interesting developments like Reebok's Liquid Factory that I remember from a few years ago that was very fast. You could print around the whole shoe. It was already with the robot arm. Uh, I liked that one a lot, but then, you know, it was not one of their spear points. Company got sold and then the whole project went down the drain. And then if we see how many of these other companies are applying the printing, it's to replace existing shoe parts that are now made in another way. So to say, okay, this is now a, a molded uh, EVA, a foam, and now we're going to do this as a, as a lattice, and then we have a printed foam. Instead of thinking about, well, if we could do 3D printing, maybe we can completely rethink how this shoe is made. So in our case, in our lab, in our footrology lab here in Barcelona, the main thing we do is reinventing how shoes are made and thinking about how can I make a shoe with the minimal human labor that I could do locally. So thinking about how can I have a printed part and maybe a 3D knitted part and they click together and that's it. You know, there's two machines involved. The one makes one part, the other makes the other part. And there's no assembly involved and you just either the consumer puts it together or uh, one person or one robot puts it together and that's it. But we see that those larger companies are not the ones doing that. So what I'm hoping, and that's also what we hope to achieve now with the event that we're organizing in September, is to indeed bring those startups that have those interesting ideas on how to make shoes together with those larger companies that might have the interest to move in that direction but might not want to integrate it fully in their current supply chain and just say, okay, you know what? We're going to invest in this. We're going to see how this goes. We're going to see how successful it is. And then maybe once it is successful, it becomes like a whole extra brand next to ours. And it sets up a new supply chain that we then gradually can you know, transition towards. That's how I would see it. 
I, I like that very much. We talk about something similar, like the atelier approach. Like, have you thought about this? Because to me, this seemed like a really a logical thing to start at the, the 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 main flagship store in Paris. Actually, start making them there, or do some high end customization from certain people there, and to kind of have that kind of like a halo effect or something. Do you believe in that kind of thing as well? But like, you know, kind of making it like an optional extra for people who want mega expensive or mega cool shoes or stuff like that. Mm, yes and no, but I the way I see that is a little bit different from how I see some companies execute it. I mean, one interesting thing that we run into speaking to 3D printing companies is that what they usually want and where they see the added value and the higher price, for instance, is custom, custom to size. So completely custom to your foot. Now, the difficulty there is that um, people then think that if I have your foot scan, and I make a shoe exactly around your foot, then this is the most comfortable shoe you could ever imagine. Now, I remember several years ago, I was working in San Diego for Feats. This was the first 3D printed footwear brand ever in the world. They did exactly that because the brand was started by two mathematicians, one of whom could not get fitting shoes. And they found that when they made their first round of shoes made to a foot scan, they got them all back because people felt, oh, they're super uncomfortable. However, they all had different complaints. Uh, this too tight, this too wide. And this is when people find out, oh, it's actually a preference footwear comfort, not uh, a fact. So they found out that over time, when they started delivering these shoes, that comfort is a preference and not so much something that you can simply measure in a foot scan. And they had to change all of that. And then also the question was, do people really want that custom to size? That was actually, it turned out that this was only for people that really had a big issue getting any fitting shoes in the market. And that's actually not such a big group. And they also found that that group was a bit older. So people that might otherwise wear orthopedic shoes were interested in that. That's also why I do think that 3D printing is very interesting for the orthopedic market. We also have a bunch of people from the orthopedic market coming to the event. So that was already something where they're like, hmm, you could wonder, do people actually want to pay that extra money? And of course, also business-wise, the issue is if you make something custom to somebody's size and they don't like it and they send it back, you cannot sell it to somebody else because it, you advertise with custom to your size. <laughs> so that is the difficulty there. What I think that people don't do enough and could happen now, but I have not seen anybody do it, is to really use data, big data, about preferences for wear. So color, style, um, silhouette, all of that. And to really use a generator to generate shoes for you. What we still see now, it's quite primitive. Uh, if we look at things like Nike ID or My Adidas or any of the custom programs that we have for sneakers, a lot of times it's okay, you get a picture of a shoe in front of you and they assume that a consumer is a designer. Now, please, uh, you know, uh, adjust this. Then please adjust that. Or what color would you like this? What color would you like that? And most consumers are not designers. So they're like, huh. So I always tell people, okay, say that I could get, you know, say the Yeezy still existed and I could get a custom Yeezy, either by adjusting my Yeezy or Kanye could design a Yeezy for me. I think that most people would choose, let Kanye design the Yeezy for me. That feels a lot. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. But. So <laughs> whatever you think of Kanye or not, whatever. Um, <laughs> but as a principle, you know, what if I then 
turn, and that's what you what is technically possible now, turn the aesthetic of Yeezy into an algorithm that merges with my data and that tweaks, you know, my data and kind of Yeezifies <laughs> my style. That's where I see a lot more options because what you can do really well with printing, of course, is anything generative. Every item that you print, whether this is a shoe or not, could be slightly different without necessarily having to have always the direct interaction with the consumer. So that's where I see another option, for instance, for the luxury segment. You could also have a unique code or a unique pattern that could be read by your phone in your shoe that could you know, show that this is an original, for instance. Where if we look at counterfeiting, which is a very big issue, for instance, in sneakers, especially, of course, luxury sneakers, people want to know, is this the real one or no? You know, 3D printing offers a lot of opportunities to give every shoe a unique code that could be verifiable or put something in it during the printing process. So these are things that I don't see enough and, and are possible. So if I talk, for instance, to a company like Luxcreo, it's one of the largest 3D print farms. They do um, braces, you know, like the, not the Invisalign, but a competitor to that, like these plastic braces. They're all custom. Each one is different. Why can we not do the same thing um, for shoes? But instead of having the consumer tell us, I want you to do exactly this, we need a lot more smart software that could generate something that would be ideal for that consumer. So that's more of the direction that we look at. I do want to, the, it's an interesting approach. I'm curious to like, is that big data on shoes currently publicly available? Or is that a data no. set that only really belongs to the large conglomerate shoe manufacturers? Well, it's actually not, unfortunately, what I think the biggest issue is it's not measured. So when we're talking about sizing, then yes. So you have companies like Volumental, they also go, come presented at our, at our conference. They have the, the sizing data available, so they have the scan data available, but that's only size. And I'm looking at style. And this we actually need to measure in a different way. You can, I mean, you could have this through somebody's social media. Look, that's also why I'm focusing so much on companies like Amazon. I'm waiting for when these companies are coming because they have all the data. Look at all their Alexa systems, the, the camera systems that they have that kind of take pictures of you in your best outfits, different outfit suggestion systems. This is all about data, 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 data about what fits your body, what looks good on you, what do you have already in your wardrobe? How would a new shoe match with what you have or how would it update your wardrobe? That data is not being measured right now for most shoe companies or any shoe companies for that matter. And that's where we first need systems that could collect that data and then we can use it. But at this moment, that data is not collected, not by shoe companies. So that's where that could be much better. I'm expecting that probably in Asia, where you of course have less privacy loss uh, of data, uh, that, and then especially China, that this, that this is where we will see this first. Uh, collecting these data. And I remember being right before COVID in a conference in Beijing where uh, a company for facial recognition was showing software that you could really recognize the emotions of a consumer in a store when they looked at different outfits and different objects that were put in front of them. 
So all this type of data you could use to translate into something that is then generated based upon the preferences of the consumer. So that that is a, a longer road uh, ahead. And obviously, of course, yes, you will run into issues of privacy whether you want this or not. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting because that even seems to me like even more risky and more like far away from what they're doing than than this other stuff, right? That that, that would be even bigger. That would be an even bigger uh, challenge for these bigger shoe companies to undertake yeah. and to think about yeah. it this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. To let go the, the the so so that even makes it even more likely that the startups are going to win this or the startups are going to get big. I think the, the thing I keep thinking about is Allbirds, right? And companies like that that started with Knit, right? Yeah. And Knit was like. Uh, so Allbirds like only from 2014 or something like this, and 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 they started with Knit, and now it's a 300 million dollar company, and now Knit is everywhere. I don't know, maybe somebody else started before them, but I think you know if the small guys <laughs> validate it, then they 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 will adopt, right? But again, it's the same it's the same thing. So that's often what people don't realize. That's also why we do a lot of Knit. So we have we do three technologies in house. It's knitting, printing, and molding. And knitting is another technology that became popular because of automation. So, of course, it also has comfort, you know, uh, advantages. But the main reason why Nike, and they were the first to start with that, Nike Flying Knit. And they also have the most patents, by the way, on, on the knitting. It, it's because of automation, where if you look normally at, and like you said before, looking at how a shoe is made and you have to stitch all these different parts together, this is where we see these huge factory halls full of seamstresses doing the same work all over every day. That can be completely replaced by having a whole factory full of knitting machines with only a handful of people that are managing those machines because the machines knit those pieces by themselves. So we have machines here in-house that knit like a full upper for a shoe without any stitching whatsoever. So right. In right. that, that, tech, that technology exists, but it's not. it hasn't been implemented on factory floors for oh, or it has massively massively <laughs> yeah. yeah okay all right, all right, all right. so they are so the, yeah. so the shoe industry is willing at times to uh take on this kind of additive manufacturing right when they can see a very direct result no exactly it's a very direct result um the machines are not insanely expensive uh especially not with the the chinese copies of the main knitting machines started in asia i mean the asians themselves of course also want to automate so that's where that happened. And okay, it's mainly in sports footwear where it's more applicable. Then indeed companies like Allbirds came because also it will make, they take it more from the sustainability perspective. And for them, it also means that they can have much fewer materials in their shoes, which makes it easier to recycle, brings down carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, they, they have been doing that. Uh, interestingly enough though, <laughs> which is what I would have hoped for a company like Allbirds to do is indeed to go for the on-demand business model. And they don't. So they, they are basically on the exact same bandwagon as anybody else. Well, uh, they've got other problems on top of that, but we don't need to go into that. <laughs> they have different structural problems that we don't need to go into here, but, um, you know. No, no, they're making a, a great step, definitely huge effort on the sustainability side. Let's not deny that. They do that. No, yeah. I yeah. do think personally that in general, the, the real innovation, I think that should be mainly the message, I think, of this talk. The real innovation will have to be made by those startups that can completely redesign the supply chain from scratch and do local for local, 
decentralized, fully automated production on demand. And if you cannot do that, then that is not really the supply chain that we need for the future. Then you can still do your utmost best within the existing supply chain to create shoes that are more sustainable. But the real, real, real step forward is the new supply chain. And that's really where printing is a key element, whether it's printing of molds or printing of the full end product. Both of those will coexist in that new supply chain. Okay. But then to me, it's the most logical thing is to have the sole and the, the, the midsole and part of the sole 3D printed and the knit the upper, right? And to somehow magically join them, which is the problem. That's right? what you think. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's but, the problem. That's the problem. But, <laughs> yeah, stuck in but, but what, what are the other options? Like, like you know, you well, can print is, the whole shoe. Is, you could, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, this is the tra traditional uh, method of thinking. So uh, that it needs to be a sole on the upper and a division, this and that. It could be a, a fully 3D printed cage uh, without anything knitted. It could be a fully 3D printed cage with knit inside. These are actually constructions that you do see the bigger companies also making, but then molded. I mean, for me, of course, it was hilarious for me to see companies like Adidas releasing things like Adilette, which is a molded shoe, but it has the lines in it that you would normally get from. I know the, that's a slipper, <laughs> the that slipper that looks like a that printed slipper. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was like looking at that at the store. I'm like, what, what? Okay. Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is cool I, I, now. I the thing that we all have been complaining about for exactly. years is cool. This is so funny because I was like, I bought that thing right away because I was like, huh. Anybody who comes to me now and says people don't want the lines, I can, I will yeah, show, them <laughs> show them this shoe and say, well, these were sold out within a minute. So now tell me who doesn't want the lines. So it's, you know, that's indeed this traditional way of thinking. So you could think of, I don't know, a knitted sock and a robot arm 3D printing the structure uh, directly on top of that in a vat of gel without any support, all of that. You, there's so many different options that we would have. Unfortunately, though, that's another remark. <laughs> Some of the larger companies, mainly Nike, have protected a lot of these technologies through patents that they're not using. So sometimes also in our case, for instance, we can print directly on it. So there's no technical reason why we could not. We can do that in-house here. If we were ever to release those shoes commercially, we will probably be sued by Nike because they have the patent, even though they don't use it. So that's another thing that's prohibiting a lot of innovation in this area because some of the larger companies have patented a lot of new constructions that you could do, not so much to bring them on the market, but to keep them off the market because they know that they will not be the ones to provide the market with those because a lot of times it's on demand, they don't do that. So yeah, I hope I hope also in the future that patent law will change and that you cannot keep a patent if you're not actually using it in your product. So, but that's also something for the for the future. Yeah, that would be that's kind of like that would put a lot of people at IBM out of work because they're just like <laughs> a big company. Oh, yeah, yeah, at a lot of companies that would. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. people forget that also with, the has problems with, yeah. <laughs> with the sports companies, the largest department is legal. So all right. the largest departments are legal. So don't don't make any mistakes there. So.
But okay, so 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 you're saying that okay, so you're saying that, but but uh, there's no real clear paradigm for you saying, you know, we only make the sole, we print the whole shoe. That's not really, you know, we haven't figured that out yet. What, what's or, the or best you, way? I to, think there's, like, there's go lots of different options. I think I think also that it should not be one option. There should be the variety, uh, because already you know you get the discussion even even for companies like Tellerfeld that are doing FDM, uh, full FDM footwear uh, with a specific way of slicing. So basically open walled uh, shells that people are like, oh, they all look the same, you know? So then it's, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it's still super new for everybody, but they're like, oh yeah, because it's a shell, one color. So it's all the same. So yeah, I mean, what we mainly need is more diversity and what we also need further down the line, especially for any type of printing, by the way, is better after, after processing and finishing. So if we could say, okay, uh, for instance, here in house, we are printing with pellets. Ideally we would print with just one color pellets our transparent and just add pigment as we go along or have an after processing process where color is applied as an hour layer as a full print around the shoe that would already allow us to make these things look completely different than than they look now so these are things that i think are more interesting towards the future and whether this is then for a, a shoe made in a powder a resin or with a filament or pellets for all of those we need the after processing side where it would become easier to give them a different look and feel through applications that we apply uh, after the production of the actual structure of the shoe. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so you kind of already said that we need a lot of new, a lot of technologies as well. So yeah. also you don't see one technology is winning this, like a, you know, whatever FDM or DLP or whatever. Yeah. I think each technology has its own pros and cons in terms of what it can do well and cannot do well. So, and that's also where I think the future will be that we will see that those splitting more. We, of course, have seen prices of resin, especially coming down uh, a lot. Now what we need on that side, especially, are materials that are um, not thermoset, that we can fully recycle them. So at this moment, we have the advantage, okay, the resin looks really great, it feels great, has come down in price a lot, it's relatively fast, but it's still highly toxic and fully unrecyclable. So people that look at printing for that reason, would then probably not go for a resin. Then you would go more for for the pellets uh, or filament for FDM. So, but of course, then people think, oh, that's slower and has certain limitations in what you can or cannot create in terms of resolution. And then SLS, of course, sits somewhere in the middle where I do think it's a relatively complicated process. But since you have some, you don't have the issues with supports, you could do some things in there that you might not be able to do in the other. So. I think each of those segments will have to find its own way where their sweet spot uh, is and what it is they do, what price they do it for, what consumer they do it for. So where I do see that indeed the, the directions that you see on the, whether it's SLA, DLP and SLS, that is going more towards indeed mass production. You see also those systems being set up and maybe also for the prices of those machines that you would have to do that to make it a you know, feasible business model. Whereas, of course, for the FDM side, it would be much more about on-demand, much more suitable also for on-demand and not for mass production. So I think it's going to be a combo of different things you could make and different business models that 
connected to that, where the, the resin and powder, it's not that it's not going to do on demand at all, but it will do on demand, say, in, in batches, like batches of a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand instead of millions <laughs> in advance. And the FDM side would be much more suitable indeed to say, okay, one-on-one-on-one. On one on one. We do on demand, consumer for consumer. Okay, that sounds very sensible. Thank you so much for everything, uh, uh, Nicoline. Thank you so much for giving us a look into uh, 3D printed shoes and everything that goes around around that. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, if any of you would like to visit the Footprint 3D uh, event <laughs> for printing, of course, you're welcome. So it's on September 22, 23 in Barcelona, where we are based. So that's also nice <laughs> because of the weather. And uh, people can find that online on the footprint3d.tech website. All right, perfect. And thank you for being here today as well, Max. Oh, it's fascinating. And there seems to be a big hole in uh, the shoe market. So maybe someone can be inspired from this. Big opportunity for sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So thank you, Joris. All right. And thank you guys for listening. This is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.